You can go ahead and grab a seat. Good morning and hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to St. Pete's. My name is Preston, and it's a delight to see you all today. Um, if I look like I'm a little bit robot-y today, uh, I apologize. <laughs> I have a little bit of a neck stiffness, but I'm here, and I'm excited to be here with you. And that's why if I'm a little awkward in my movements, uh, just to give you a heads up. But uh, today, um, we're talking about the, the brick and our series of brick and mortar of salvation. Um, and when we talk about salvation, it really begs one simple question for each of us. Are you saved? Are you saved or not? Uh, I grew up in a church where the preacher would ask us that every single Sunday service. Are you saved? And don't leave today if you're not sure. Um, that was the message. Eugene Peterson used to tell a story about a preacher named Billy Sunday. Uh, if, if you haven't heard of Billy Sunday, he was a pro baseball player for the Chicago White Stockings way back in the day. This was like end of the 1800s back in the day. Um, and after his baseball career, he became a traveling evangelist, traveled all around the early 20th century. And he hosted these revival meetings in these big tents uh, and huge crowds would come, thousands of people to hear him preach. The tents uh, that he preached in were known for something that they called the sawdust trail. It was this center aisle in the tent where the folding chairs would be split, and it would lead right up to the front. And Billy would close his sermons by inviting people down the sawdust trail, come down the sawdust trail, kneel, Pray the prayer of repentance and be saved. Meet Jesus as Lord and be saved. In his day, this, this, uh, this became a phrase for getting saved, hitting the sawdust trail. Like, have you hit the sawdust trail? If you had, then uh, you were saved. You were in the family of God. And to add to it, Billy often gave a formula for the ideal Christian life. And it was essentially this. Hit the sawdust trail. Fall on your knees and receive Christ as Savior. Then walk out of this tent into the street, get hit by a Mack truck, and go straight to heaven. It's as easy as that. That's all it takes. Pretty good formula, right? Get saved and get straight out of here. No worrying about all the hard parts of life, temptation and doubt and loving your family and your roommates and giving away your money and pain, neck pain, none of this stuff. Just get hit, hit by a Mack truck. Skip it all, you're saved. You get to go straight to heaven. Why not? And in a way, Billy's kind of hard to argue with. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if this is all the Christian life is, getting saved and getting out, you know, there's, there's an efficiency to his model. Um, but uh, we, we do need to ask, is, is this all that salvation is? getting saved and getting out? Because uh, if it is, then it's a good question. What are we all doing here, slogging through this broken world? What's the point? Well, I, I think Billy's formula leaves out a couple things, and so we'll explore this, this idea today. Salvation is God's work, rescuing us and remaking us into God's kingdom people. So salvation is God, His work, rescuing us and remaking us, both of those things, into kingdom people. 
As we've been going through this series, I imagine you've started to felt the overlap of topics. We've talked about salvation in a way already from different angles. Um, here's a, a quick, quick recap of some of that. We, we need saving because, as Ephesians 2 tells us, uh, we're dead on our own. We're dead in sin. We have no hope apart from God. We're blind. We're like sheep without a shepherd. We're wandering in darkness. So we need saving. And we're saved from death, and we're saved for what Jesus calls eternal life, or the kingdom of heaven, he also calls it, uh, which starts right here on earth today. It's not just after you die. It starts today and moves into life beyond death. But how does all this work? How does this work? Well, we've looked at a couple of those pieces. We talked about justification one week. We talked about atonement uh, on Good Friday. Uh, these are big words, but they're all um, helping us understand how we become right with God, uh, how we make amends, how, how we become united with God, and it's always through His Son, Jesus Christ. God saves us through His self-giving love displayed on the cross, displayed and enacted on the cross. And that, that was what we talked about on Good Friday. Jesus died the death we deserve so that we can be united with God, and then on Easter Sunday, Jesus conquered death through his resurrection, through this beautiful little story from Narnia that Shannon read for us. You get to feel it a little bit more there. And offers us forgiveness and resurrection life ourselves. So today, we wanna, I want to talk instead about the process. So we've named all this stuff. We're saved by God's grace through faith. But what does it look like for God's grace to get in us and save us and change us? How does that happen, really, in like our lives and stories? For God to rescue and remake you and me? Does it look like hitting the sawdust trail, as many people have done in some way? Does it look like getting dunked as a baby, as we do right here sometimes? And some of you have had that done to you. Does it look like getting all your theology right over at Regent College? Some of you have worked really hard at that, spent a lot of money to do it. Well, uh, all those can be pieces and parts. Uh, in John chapter 3, the, the passage we read today, there's a man named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, and he wondered what it all looked like when salvation got into people. And so we'll start there with his story because... In this story, uh, Jesus describes the process of salvation. So I'm going to read some of that again. It, I, don't know, I don't think it's going to be on the screen because I forgot to make those slides. So you'll just have to listen. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Then I'll jump to verse 14. Um, Actually, I'll just jump to verse 16, the one you all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to contemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Nicodemus, as we said, was a Pharisee, which means he was a teacher of the law and he was curious about Jesus. He, for one, not all of them were, but he was convinced that all the signs Jesus had been doing, these things that defied logic, meant he came from God. And so he goes to Jesus at night to have a chat with him, presumably when no one else would see. And Jesus tells Nicodemus about three things. He gives him three pillars of salvation, or three things that happen in someone's life, three things that God does in someone's life as they are saved. The first two are right at the beginning. Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is understandably confused. What are you talking about, Jesus? Am I supposed to re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? No, no, says Jesus. He unpacks it a little further. He says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, the word born here is the word for bringing forth, uh, like a child into the word, into the world, born. But it, it can also mean create. It can also mean begin. And in other places in the Gospels, Jesus used the, uses the word baptize in this context. So you must be baptized in water and spirit to be saved. And, and so to be baptized has to do with the same idea being born, uh, beginning again, or being remade. So those are the first two pillars, being born or baptized of water and spirit. And then a bit later, Jesus adds the third pillar in the famous uh, line, John 3, 16 to 17. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might, and here's the word, be saved through him. So baptized in water, baptized in spirit, and faith in the Son of God. These are the three pillars of salvation. These are the three things that make someone a Christian. They are the process, how God works out his grace. So I just want to unpack each of those briefly and then talk a little bit about how they work together. So first, baptism in water. Uh, We believe baptism in water is a sacrament. And if you don't know that word or it sounds scary, uh, let me explain it a little bit. It means, uh, sacrament means something that is a physical sign, something that you can touch, that God works through, that God acts in to seal and confirm the gospel truth. Our Anglican prayer book calls sacraments means of grace, which is just another way of saying how God gives out and gives us 
his, his grace, his agape, unconditional love. Paul describes baptism in Romans chapter 6 this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So going under the water in baptism, that physical act of going under the water represents death and joining Jesus in his death. And coming out of the water represents new life, resurrection, and salvation. Baptism signifies everything about becoming a Christian. It's this beautiful picture of dying with Christ and being raised with him. And it gives us, it gives you, if you've been baptized, a whole new identity and community. A whole new identity, the body of Christ. Once you're baptized, that's who you are. You are baptized, a member of the body of Christ. What other other adjectives or modifiers or things you might think about yourself or when someone asks you, tell me about yourself? Whatever might come to mind, the first thing before anything else, if you've been baptized, is simply that, that you're baptized. And that means you belong to God, plain and simply. And we believe God works through this act. Whether in the life of a child or an adult being baptized, we believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active in these moments, working by faith to draw people to himself. If you have more questions or want to understand or probe that further, we'd be happy to do that at some time. So that's the first thing, baptism in water. The second thing Jesus says is baptism in spirit. This is about the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. I like what Jesus says in verses 6 to 8 here about the Spirit. He says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You have to be born of the Spirit, says Jesus. And like the wind that blows, you can't control the Spirit. We can't pin down the Spirit of God. You can't predict or get hold or know exactly what God's Spirit is doing. It's God's Spirit. God acts as He wills. But we do know that we have to be born of or baptized in the Spirit to be a Christian. It's part of it. God's Spirit living in us is what makes us a new creation. And Paul has that phrase in Colossians 3 that you're a new creation in Christ. And it's the Spirit living in you that is the mark of that. And it's like the Spirit living in you that is like the, the lifeblood of, of you as a new creation. The Spirit draws us to God. The Spirit convicts us of sin. Uh, shows us what right and wrong is. The Spirit is a guide the Spirit works through us by giving gifts for us to use for the good of the church. The Spirit bears fruit in our lives that help us grow more and more into the image of Jesus. The Spirit does all of these things. And so that's the second pillar of salvation, being born of the Spirit. You can't be a Christian without being born of the Spirit. Third thing, 
again, 3.16, whoever believes in him, believes in Jesus, shall have eternal life, says John. So we went into depth on this one on the justification sermon, so I'll just be brief here. But we believe in and we have faith in a faithful God. We put our trust, we put our trusting, faithful reliance in Jesus. And through, through this faith, God douses us in grace. He washes us in grace and gives it to us as a gift. Faith in the Son of God is, this, is the context that these baptisms happen in, of water and spirit. So God works through faith and baptism. God gifts His Holy Spirit to us to enable us to walk in faith and to cry out to Him, to call Him Father. Faith is, is always surrounding these, these other uh, pieces, baptism. So these are the three things, again, the process of salvation. If someone ever asks you, how do you what, what does it look like to become a Christian? Well, there's three things. Uh, faith in the Son of God, getting baptized in water, and getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the next question to ask is, how do they work together? Is there a proper order? Is there a particular way this has to work? Is it one, two, three, or three, two, one? Like, how, how does this happen? Is it, I believe in God, then I receive the Spirit, and then I'm baptized to tell the world about it? Or is it that I'm baptized as a baby, and I receive the Spirit then, and then I'm done? Or is baptism, baptism of the Spirit something that like comes later down the road as an extra gift, a second gift that God gives to extra spiritual Christians? Well, you'll hear all of these. Uh, these are all kind of different ways people go about it. Uh, but I think it's important when we ask this question, how, do, how does it work together, to, to just zoom out and notice that we're dealing with people here. Now we're on the level of dealing with individual people, with individual stories, and God is creative. Uh, God encounters people right where they're at, and he pays attention to people right where they're at. And so uh, we get different examples of how it happens. Uh, even in the New Testament, the book of Acts gives us some examples, a lot of stories, actually, of people becoming Christians, uh, moving into salvation. And it shows us that God works with these three pillars in different ways. I'm just going to give you a few examples to illustrate how they can work, look differently. So in Acts chapter 8, there's a group of Gentiles in Samaria, and they've received the word, and they've believed in God. They had faith. And then they were baptized with water into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the apostles go and pray for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. So it's faith, water, spirit. Then in Acts 10, we meet someone named Cornelius, and he's a Gentile. His family are devout, devout believers in God, but they haven't heard about Jesus yet. So Peter comes and preaches to them about Jesus, and they believe, and immediately the spirit falls on them. And then later on, Peter says, we need to baptize you. So he baptizes them. So this one is faith, spirit. And then water. Here's one more. Acts 16. Uh, the Lord opens the heart of a woman named Lydia who believes after hearing Paul preach. And immediately she's baptized in water. And her whole family with her is baptized in water. The Spirit isn't actually mentioned in this story. Uh, just that God was working in opening her heart. So that would be the work of the Spirit. 
So after this happens, her and her entire family is dunked in water. So for her, it sounds like faith and the Spirit came together, and then water came later on. But for her kids, it sounds like water first. And we don't know about the rest of their stories. And there are more in Acts. There are more stories. But in these three, we can see, again, the Spirit moving as Jesus said the Spirit would, like the wind. The Spirit moves in different ways, uh, always drawing people to God and The Spirit is attentive to each person's story, all the way through history, and even all the way through today. We see these stories in our own community. Take Lucy's story. A couple weeks ago in catechism, I asked her, what happened to you the night when you say you became a Christian? She said, I don't really know. (laughs) She said she chatted with Rob and Alistair after their community group. And they prayed together, and she felt a freedom to do so, to talk to God, and that there was just a a rightness to it and a freedom to do that that was opened up to her. She said she didn't feel any different after doing so, but at the same time, she kind of did feel different because after that point, she never didn't feel like a Christian again. And then later on, she was baptized in water, and she's a Christian walking with the Spirit today. And she's saved, and she's growing further into faith. But there's other stories, too. Take Heidi's story. She was baptized as a baby, committed to faith as an infant. And she grew up in the church. She confessed her belief in God and Jesus at age eight. She has a Bible to show for it on that day. And since then, Heidi has had many seasons of being close to God and being very far and feeling very distant. From God. Sometimes she told me she felt the Holy Spirit in those seasons of distance, kind of pulling her, and sometimes she didn't. But eventually, she called to God for help from a dark place in her life, and the Lord answered and began a new season with her. She's saved. She's walking with the Spirit, growing in faith. There's always a tension in these stories, and I imagine in your story and in mine, in these stories of salvation. Because remember back to that main idea that God's salvation is his rescuing work, but also his remaking of us. You know, back to where we started, Billy Sunday, he understood the rescuing part. He, uh, he knew what he was talking about there, but the longer, slower work of remaking, uh, remaking us is salvation too. God can and does quickly rescue us. At times, and God can and does quickly and dramatically heal from addiction and disease. That happens. But in God's big plan and in His kingdom, efficiency isn't His primary concern. Speed isn't the number one value in God's kingdom. And God wants to remake, to remake you, to remake all of us into a person who is ready to live in His eternal kingdom. And that work can't be rushed because it happens over time. Because it happens as life happens, as you walk through your life, as you encounter new events and new challenges and new questions over time. That's how God deepens you into his kingdom ways, into familiarity with how to respond and how to live out being a Christian in this moment and that moment. So you're never done being saved. 
You're never really done with it because it's a journey with God that will last the rest of your earthly life. And it'll look different at different points in the story. It's not just X equals Y always going up and to the right. But God does always want to take us further, further up and further in into that. It's possible to stall and just kind of hang out in the shallows in the story of salvation, and some people do that. It's possible. Uh, but it's not, it's not God's heart. It's not God's plan. Our, our good friend Peter, St. Peter, talks some about this and in his first uh, epistle in the New Testament. So we're going to look at that briefly. He writes, he writes this. According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again, that same phrase that John uses, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God has caused us to be born again. And how? How has he done it? Through the resurrection of Jesus. He has risen. Hallelujah. But here's the key, too. He gives this image of an inheritance that's waiting to be revealed to you at the end, at the last time. So your salvation won't be fully revealed until the end, until the last time. You're saved, but you're still being saved every day. Peter goes on here to talk about the trials we endure as Christians, the difficulties of life as we wait for the rest of salvation to come. And it's future-oriented. Uh, he says this, talking about... Um, right after talking about the trials. Though you have not seen Jesus with your eyes, you love him. Though you do not now see Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So our salvation is an outcome of our journey in faith. We are saved by faith in the Son of God through baptism and water and the Spirit and faith. But none of these pillars, these three pillars, are static. They're not one and done. Baptism, your baptismal identity, your membership of the family of God, you have to return to that again and again and again because you forget whose you are, don't you? I do. And the Spirit you, you, you belong to the Spirit. You're marked by the Spirit. But every single day, we can still come and pray, Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Guide me today. Overflow me with your Spirit. I need to walk with you today to prepare for whatever lies ahead because you never know. And you must continue this journey in faith too, pushing into trusting reliance on Jesus Christ, knowing that he's a friend. He's a friend who is close, who is always near. And he will be through every new moment of life. But it's, it's something that we return to always. It's not one and done. Peter calls all of this in chapter 2 of, of his epistle, growing up into salvation, uses the image of maturity, uh, growing up. He says we still need the pure spiritual milk to grow up into salvation. And we have growing up to do, don't we, into our salvation into being further remade and remade into God's kingdom people. Again, it takes a lifetime. 
it's not one and done. It's, it's an ongoing journey. And that's all part of salvation. Salvation is a big story, a much bigger story than sometimes how we think about it. And it starts with that rescue, that initial rescue. But that's just the beginning part. That's just the starting line. It's not the ending line. It's the starting line of our, of our journey of salvation. And then it goes on for the rest of our lives as we grow in maturity and depth and faith and hope and in love. Uh, I have a friend who, um, he used to be a sort of mentor of mine when I was an undergrad. He's a Roman Catholic, and he was the first Roman Catholic. Uh, I didn't know many growing up, but I met, and he, his love for Jesus was just so strong and beautiful. It, um, it surprised me because I was always told Roman Catholics are like different, and I didn't really have a good sense of that as a kid, but this guy just changed, totally changed my mind. And he used, to, he, he, he used to always say to me, Preston, brother, you have what it takes to be a saint. Let's be saints together. He used to say that to me. And at first it would bother me. It'd be like, I, I am a saint. I'm saved. Come on, man. Like, I'm a Protestant. We don't rank people's holiness. Like, I'm saved. You can't, like, we can't, I can't do any more. But at the same time, it tapped into something inside of me that I longed for, that I loved it. So I felt like, yes, I want that. I want to grow up into being a saint. Like, yes, it's true, I am, but, but there's something more, isn't, it? isn't there too? Inside me, I just wanted to say, yes, I belong. Yeah, I know I belong to you, God, but this invitation is, is beautiful, I want to grow up into my salvation. I want to be a mature witness of the kingdom of God. I don't want to just hang out in the shallows for the rest of my life on earth. I want to be ready for the kingdom to come when it comes or when I die. Do you long for that? Do you sense any of that? Are you tired of just being in a shallow place? Our good friend, St. Peter, he became a saint at a, at a fireside one of failure and one of grace. Then he had a lot of growing up to do after that. But you too and me too, you have what it takes to be a saint. You have everything it takes to be a saint in those three gifts of salvation. In baptism, you're given a new identity. You're given Christ. You're given a family in him. You're given a community in the grace of God. And in the Spirit, you are given the gift of God's Spirit living inside of you at all times. And of course, living in faith in Jesus and our Lord, you're given a friend. You're given God who is a friend that you have access to and His presence available to at all times. So if you feel like you've been in this kind of shallows area of salvation, like you, yeah, you say you, you've been rescued, but... Maybe there's more, um, if you long for more, then recognize that today and thank God for it first. It's a holy longing. It's a good longing. If you don't have that longing, then ask God for it because there's so much more to live into. If you do, thank him for it. And then find someone today, I'd ask you, and just tell them that. Tell them, yeah, like, I know I'm saved, but there's got to be more to this life knowing Jesus and knowing the uh, eternal God than what I'm experiencing right now. Tell someone 
If you're ready to grow up into salvation in a new way, in a deeper way, there's people here, I guarantee you, and I know, who also want that too. There's women and men who want to walk with you in that, and they want to themselves, and they can help show you a way forward. This is the gospel of salvation. It's good news because Jesus has offered us rescue, and he's also offered and brought us in to a bigger, broader, deeper world of life with him, of remaking us for the rest of our lives. It's not over. It's not over at the starting line. It's just begun. But you get to be submersed into this journey of knowing God and pushing into that for the rest of your life until you meet him face to face. And yes, some seasons are hard. Some seasons are good. Some seasons are painful. All the rest. But as you walk through it, you have this gift of the Spirit, of the living God walking with you, which means God is always there, and he's always given you what you need to be a saint. Will you pray with me?